podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus begumbleware.org. Welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us. Nikki Bandini coming on shortly to get us into all the key stories from Week 8 in the NFL. And what about the 49ers? Unbeaten and looking like they are playoff bound. And the LA Rams bouncing back, back-to-back wins for them. Enjoying the London sunshine. Deshaun Watson as well. What a throw that was. Is that the play of the year? So much more to get into. We'll get into all of it with Nikki very shortly. We're also going to have Greg Brady on a little bit later on. As we get to this stage of the season, plenty of coaches uh, on the hot seat. Could be a number of coaching changes, typically at the end of the year, of course, in the offseason. But who is in Stuck and which coaches could be heading to the NFL, including the Michigan head coach, uh, Jim Harbour, who is uh, getting a lot of attention at the moment uh, for a return to the NFL. So we uh, will catch up with Greg and look at all the different uh, coaching carousel permutations very shortly. Don't forget to follow us on social media if you haven't already, not least because there's loads of extra content that rolls out throughout the course of the week at the NC Show. is how you get in touch with us uh, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Right then, let's get this show on the road and check in with the great Nikki Bandy. Nikki, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Nat? Saw you on the telly yesterday. On the telly. (laughs) I am knackered. I'm knackered, to be honest, but in good spirits, nevertheless. It's always always fun with that crew. And um, yeah, there were a lot of giggles, actually, including, I I think it was a notable broadcast for two reasons. We went from a reference to Step Brothers, the movie Step Brothers, which which Oshie dropped, uh, to Mike dropping a David Mamet, Glen Gary, Glen Ross reference within the space of about 30 seconds. So, <laughs> it was, that's all you need to know about that, that broadcast. That sounds like live broadcasting with Mike Carlson. I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carlson was doing this brilliant thing where before the show was going on air, he had to record something for the Wesleyan, some anniversary of him being at Wesleyan, the same college that Bill Belichick was at, of course. And they mm-hmm. were, in fact, were, were, I think, within a year of each other at college. And uh, maybe the 50th anniversary of him leaving Wesleyan, something like that. Anyway, an important landmark. So he did a bit in the studio with Jay Bell and Osi um, to record on camera, right? So the guys said, yeah, sure, we record it. We're about seven minutes from on air. <laughs> <laughs> Happening outside the studio and the floor manager, Chris is saying, just holding up two fingers saying, two minutes, that two minutes. <laughs> just holding court about, oh, God knows what. Just a textbook castle. I love that, man. Uh, anyway, yes, it really was. Let us start. We'll talk about that game in a minute and, and, uh, interested to get your thoughts on the, the Rams, the enigmatic Rams. But I want to start with, with Sunday night football, uh, and, the Green Bay Packers rolling Aaron Rodgers are uh, jumping on that MVP discussion of the last few weeks and, and try to grab that with both hands with a, with an extraordinary uh, performance, certainly an extraordinary throw for, 
for a score which people are calling, well, he's definitely got competition with Deshaun Watson for the player of the mm-hmm. year, but he's certainly up there at the moment. Uh, Aaron Jones uh, lights out again. And Rogers was, uh, you know, typically understated about his performance saying, I'm just giving the ball to Jones and he's doing all the rest. But uh, the pack is looking, uh, looking very convincing right now, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, you touched on it there, but the, the play itself, which I'm, I guess you're talking about the, um, the, the throw to Williams in the back of the end zone when he's already halfway to the floor. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was incredible and a reminder of how special he is. As you say, I think we had probably, I feel like I can think of at least three plays this weekend from quarterbacks that belong in that conversation already. Yeah, so yeah. it was quite a week. Yeah. For, Cause you've got, you're right. You've got Brissette's play as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that is a, that three of the best plays all season in the space of a couple of hours that's a fresh from, from, from quarterbacks yeah all, all getting hit and, and coming coming away with something i mean if if you sort of well i mean you could you could take the betting line from before the game you look at this game beforehand and the chiefs with such a, a heavy um list of of injuries and inactives patrick mahomes obviously the headliner but also left tackle eric fisher left guard andrew wiley um then on the other side of the ball, um, Chris Jones, defensive tackle, and you've got defensive end, Frank Clark, well, Fuller at yeah. cornerback. Like there's so many injuries on that team that you think, okay, like this is, um, well, the Packers are, are favorites on the road at, at Arrowhead, which, um, obviously one of the, the loudest stadiums in the whole league. So, so it was, in a sense, it, it wasn't sort of a shock to see Green Bay go and go and do this because I think everyone's been looking at the Chiefs situation and going, gosh, um, that's a lot to overcome. I think the, what then happened though is that we, first of all, I think we got, um, a, be- a better Chiefs performance, particularly on offense than, than, than I was expecting. Certainly Matt Moore. Yeah, he looked um, good. really sort of, I don't think it was what, 24 36. Um, That's right. 250 odd yards. Um, couple of touchdowns, no turnovers, no big mistakes. But actually, it still was because the Chiefs did show up because it didn't turn out to be just a Chiefs team that couldn't compete. Um, it was sort of there was a space was there again for Rogers to impress us all. Mm. Um, and, he, and he is, you know, he's, he's he certainly looks like he's um, back to his best. And I think his best has always been that slightly freelancing. Um, uh, I guess in some ways it feels a bit like from one Green Bay Packers quarterback to another. That, that, that Brett Favre thing of just making things happen. And, and Rogers yeah, is a absolutely. far more talented arm than, than, uh, than, 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 than Favre was, I think. But he was, he certainly got the same capacity for freelancing and, and, and making things up that I think, um, so defined Favre. And it's, yes, it's, it's amazing to watch. Um, I can't help but feel, um, that there was still a little bit, um, of having just praised the Chiefs, a little bit of the Chiefs also being architects of their own downfall. I think the, um, uh, the, you know, Andy Reid does this incredible job to get Matt Moore playing so well, um, making him more competitive than, than you expect. And then late in the game takes that decision to punt on fourth and three when the defense is not stopping Green Bay at all. Yeah. Um, and, and you have a chance, you know, you're down by seven, you have a chance to do something with that drive and get level. Um, I also think that, as good as Aaron Jones was, and he was incredible and worth sort of stressing, you know, it could have been an even bigger night for him if it wasn't for stepping out of the 10 yard line on what would have been one touchdown pass. Uh, another one called back for a, for a holding penalty. Um, you yeah, could have had, McCoy fumble as well. Yeah. You, you, you could have had, um, an even bigger day for Jones. And it was, you know, after a while it was, it was, it was sort of, quite predictable basically that the, the Chiefs could not cover Jones with a linebacker and when they put extra defensive backs on the field then uh, the Packers just ran and I suppose 
we can look at it in the context of all those injuries like this because there are a lot on defense as well. Everyone's looking at Mahomes, but actually they're missing a lot of pieces on defense, Kansas City. But it just sort of put me a bit in mind of where we were in the off season of, uh, well, right, you know, what stopped them from being able to get something is the Patriots uh, in the playoffs and inability mm. to make adjustments and do something. There was no successful adjustment here either. You've got a new defensive coordinator since last year, Steve Spagnuolo, but what feels like in a big game, the same outcome, we just can't get the opposing offense off the field. So it's sort of weird that I'm so sad here and I feel like I've just in one long monologue contradicted myself. First of all, said I think that it's better than I thought, but also that the things that bother you about them are still the things that bother you but about that's them. That's a perfect description of, of the Chiefs they are. I mean, I use the term enigmatic for the Rams. I mean, I think it's absolutely appropriate for for the Chiefs. And maybe that is uh, is is the way that they are going to win this year, if they are. Uh, it's not a radical departure from the team that we saw last year other than Mahomes is a year wiser, the team, the majority of the uh, of the team are, are playing together again a, a year on. They they are know they're fallible defensively. They're probably not going to be able to stop teams scoring on them. They've just got to outgun them and, out, and outscore them. And, and when Mahomes is back, I mean, you've got to put it in context as well, as, as we do now at this stage with so many of the divisions and the, and the races and the battles. They are fortunate that they are in a division that despite this loss and, and now falling to five and three, they're going to win. They're going to, they're going to, uh, they're going to win. Uh, the Raiders, the Chargers are obviously all, all over the shop. The Raiders are now three and four. The Broncos are done. So they're going to take the division. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to get home field uh, advantage. Uh, it, it catch the Patriots in that respect. So they will, if they do get to the championship game, they'll have to go to Foxborough and win it. But I think they're just going to be looking at that game and saying, look, we, we are going to have to outgun you because we're not going to stop the Patriots scoring on us. Yeah, I mean, there is another thing in there which isn't home field advantage all the way through the playoffs, but there is a first round bye to play for and I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I think that whilst I sort of mostly um, agree with everything you've just said, it's what brings me back to that fourth and three. If you are accepting your defensive problems and you're saying that we're this team, we've got to go for it. Sure, I get it. You haven't got Mahomes there this week, but you're not talking about a fourth and 15. It's a fourth and three. Mm. And actually, you know, Moore was, he was a sort of, uh, what felt like an Andy Reid success story in this game in the mold of more of Alex Smith. And we also see right. Andy Reid win a lot of games with Alex Smith. You know, you don't right. have to be Patrick Mahomes. When you've got Patrick Mahomes, you know, you've got something really special, but you can have a really productive offense without Mahomes. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's what bugs me about it. If, if you're acknowledging that that's your way you've got to win, if it is just go out there and sort of burn the barn down with, with your offense, then, then embrace it, live it. It's fourth and three and you're seven points down. You've got to score. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely interesting as it feels to a certain extent, um, not to sort of, uh, push the conversation onto teams that I know we're going to talk about, but it does feel like that, um, like weirdly the NFL having, for so many years been all about the offense. The teams that are really dominating right now, it is swinging back towards defense again, isn't it? When we talk about the Patriots and the 49ers and, and, and the, you know, the two unbeaten teams of the league, it's teams that are excelling on that side of the ball. So are they also, I don't know, in the wrong time for that, perhaps? Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a really, really good point. And, um, and also Matt Moore, that's spot on a, that comparison with Alex Smith. Matt Moore, definitely one of the more underestimated backups. I mean, speaking as a, as a Miami fan, you know, I think a lot of Miami fans look, look fondly at the Matt Moore era and many people <laughs> thought that he should have been starting more, more than he did. But uh, seeing as it was such a fluent segue to the 49ers, let's go there. What a performance it was uh, from them. And, and again, 
well, on both sides of the ball, of course, but particularly defensively, they absolutely smothered uh, the Carolina Panthers. 51 to 13, uh, the final. There's so many stats we could pull out here just in terms of how uh, dominating this San Francisco defense was. They had seven sacks, three picks, um, allowed just 230 yards total. Uh, that was 3.7 per play. And McCaffrey had a couple of big plays. Otherwise, that, that stat would have been even worse. I... Um, brilliantly chose the Panthers as my uh, daily fantasy defense tip for the weekend. So apologies, <laughs> apologies to everybody out there who paid any attention to me. Not that there are many people that do, I'm sure. Um, but uh, there was method to my madness that they were good value and they were uh, a playmaking defense going into this uh, game. And I think a lot of people fancied Carolina for the upset, certainly mm-hmm. with the points. I think they were getting four and a half, five points. And a lot of shops I was listening to and reading were saying, oh, this could be uh, this could be a very close game and, and Carolina could edge it, but uh, quite the opposite. And the 49ers, I think, a really important win for them, Nikki, in terms of many people who've been saying, oh, yeah, they're unbeaten, but I'm not sure how legit they are. And offensively, uh, they're average. And that this was a complete performance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do think that um, perhaps all of us, and, and I know I'm not uh, throwing you under the bus for the, your tips, uh, <laughs> Throw away. because I, I was there too, but I think all of us probably maybe got a little bit carried away with Kyle Allen doing mm. as well as he did in those first few games. And I think this did look like an inexperienced quarterback getting his, um, yeah, getting getting it handed to him, basically not yeah. not being able to deal with a really good defense. Um but, uh, but you, I mean, you know, you're right. Um, this was an extraordinary performance from, from the Niners. And actually, you know, I alluded to the defense, but it was both sides of the ball. I, I liked, uh, the stat that I saw that this is only the first time since 2003 that the Niners, the 49ers have outscored their name, which I like. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. Well, was it the but, first time since when? Since, since 2003. Oh, brilliant. I love that. They've outscored their name. So yeah, that's, uh, always, uh, a special one. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to it, isn't there? I mean, you can sort of cut from the, um, the sort of the, the big picture successes, um, down to the, the, the individuals. And, and I think that inevitably everyone after this game is going to be talking and should probably be talking about, um, Nick Bosa, who was just right. extraordinary, um, really extraordinary. Um, and it sort of actually ties together what I was just saying about Alan, really, because that interception which Bosa gets where he normally, where he, um, almost takes it all the way back, uh, for a touchdown. It's, it starts with this extraordinary play by Bosa who, um, sort of avoid, well, uh, fights off a, a cut block and, and then steps into, uh, what should be, I guess, his lane for rushing the quarterback, but has enough awareness about him to look up in that moment and see what's about to happen, which is that Alan's looking to the flats and then the athleticism as well to get his hands up and, and, and block the pass. And actually, in that the same moment, you've got Alan on the other side of it, understandably, given, um, what's, what he's up against in this game, but sort of, seeing this giant free where he's absolutely not supposed to be. Bosa should be on the floor if the blocking scheme has worked mm. um, and just completely panicking basically and, and, and throwing the ball at a place where Bosa can get it. Um, and I think that, yes, that sort of feels like a, a vivid illustration of, of, of one sort of individual who was in this matchup and it doesn't damn Alan forever, right? It doesn't make him into a suddenly a terrible quarterback either, but who in this matchup was suddenly just completely drowning um, and another what, who was just completely dominating. Absolutely. It, it's, um, yeah, a perfect snapshot of how the game played out in, in totality. And yeah, Kyle Allen, as most backups do, you know, regressing and, and all reverting to type. This is why 
typically they are, you know, they are backups, career backups. And, uh, and I'm not saying that he doesn't have a chance of starting in the NFL, but this is it. They'll come in for, and you know, Minshew, and I know Minshew had a, a good game and some, uh, you know, exciting plays once again. And because he's that type of, of player that is very eminently watchable and will uh, improvise and twist and turn and, and, and electrify you on any given play that maybe added a bit more finesse and shine to, to his early career. But, you know, going into yesterday, everybody had written off Minshew saying, well, this is it. He, that's why he was an undervalued quarterback. And, you know, they're going to be able to do it for a few games, but they you can't keep it up. And when there's more tape on them, uh, it'll all unravel. So it'd be interesting to see what the pan you know, you know, Tom Brady had some bad games early in his career as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's had right. some bad ones late in his career because that's what happens when you have a long career. But he definitely had some bad ones when he was um, an undraft, well, sorry, a sixth round draft pick struggling um to do much more than game manage in the first part of his career so yeah big time Roethlisberger as well early on in his in his career I mean you know Peyton Manning of course who famously had a a very difficult first season with the Colts so yeah but point taken and then certainly as far as rookie quarterbacks Minshew could certainly get it but I suppose I'll also say I don't think that either Minshew or Allen is Tom Brady just so we're clear on that but (laughs) very clear on that but just you know sometimes worth reminding people what do you think the Panthers do Nikki with the quarterback situation because I think a couple of weeks ago there was very credible discussion and maybe we were all getting carried away and not listening to uh, to the conventional wisdom uh, that it is a, a, a temporary thing and they're not comparable but a couple of weeks ago ooh, what happens when Cam's back do we start Cam do we start Kyle Allen what do we do now presumably after this performance it's a no-brainer and Cam will, will walk straight back into the team I would, I would imagine that happens anyway. I mean, of course, um, we're not, um, as far as I'm aware, unless I've, I've missed an update, we're not sort of certain that Newton is back next week or anything yet. So obviously it depends how long he's out and what continues to happen in the meantime. But, um, I think, uh, given what Cam Newton is to the franchise, it's, it's, it's very hard for him not to at least get an opportunity to step back in. It's a bit like even with uh, um, Nick Foles winning a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz has been um, has been uh, drafted and signed and 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 set up to be the guy. And I think that whilst it's a slightly different context with you because he's older because of the injuries, because you might sort of find reason to say, oh, maybe there's some um, some opportunity here. I still think you have to assume that he gets first first run at proving that he that this is you know his offense and his team still before um before anything really is it will be interesting to see how carolina's season plays out and i've referenced this a couple of times on the pod the early year on in the season you might have even been in were you in studio with me were you doing radio when we had the carolina beat writer or maybe it wasn't but it was early on in the season right mm-hmm. we're on a sunday and um we had a Carolina beat writer on after their really bad start to the season. And he was suggesting at the time, well, it could be all changed because Newton's contract situation, Rivera might go, the front office might have whole scale change and we could be seeing an altogether different Carolina. And then Kyle Allen came in, went on this tear and that all seemed to be forgotten. It, it's conceivable that the pendulum could swing back the other way again and they, uh, they regress and end up with a, you know, six and 10 type season. And that could all be on the cards again. It is uh, interesting to see how it does play out in, in Carolina. Okay, let's move on to, let's talk about the London game, uh, mm-hmm. then and, and the Rams because keen to get your perspective on the Rams, Nikki. They were a mixed bag again against the Bengals who they didn't put them away. They didn't close, which was, uh, I think, critical and, and maybe quite representative of the difference this year between the Rams and last year. But there was a lot of good stuff as well. Cooper Cup, most notably having a, a an extraordinary uh, performance and Goff to his credit, although he did some things wrong, uh, I thought was really on point a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, particularly 
the throws he was connecting with Cop on were were just laser sharp. Um, so uh, defensively, look, they're playing the Bengals, so you can't base a huge amount on that. And they were at times, uh, I think, uh, frustrating. I mean, the play given up at the end when Jalen Ramsey, who had been, they hadn't even looked at him uh, all game long, uh, seemed to give up. I think the game was done and, and got turned over on on a play there and was smiling about that afterwards. They were um, not particularly tested, of course, but at, 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 despite this poor running offense from the Bengals that was going into the game and Andy Dalton having quite an erratic season, they were they were uh, certainly tested at times. So hard to work out is what I'm saying. Back-to-back wins now for the Rams and they are they're back on track. But uh, just how far can this team go, do you think? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think that um, it certainly feels like they are second fiddle in the NFC West now. Um, mm. And even that, actually, I suppose... With Seattle, they even second fiddle. You know, I've I've maybe spoken too soon. They're the second or third fiddle. It's a really tough division, yeah. um, and and potentially even um, not going to be given an easy ride by Arizona, who are definitely the fourth fiddle, but still still capable of of, of playing with any of those. I mean, teams, going I into yesterday, yeah, I mean, we're over five hundred, and yeah, surprising yeah. a lot. And yeah, de- as you say, definitely I mean, surpassing expectation. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely not on a level with the top teams in the NFL, as we found out yesterday. But that's that's a different game. We won't, won't go down that um, too much, but. Uh, Yes, I think that Goff is doing, um, well, I think it's now three games in a row without a turnover. Um, he's, uh, maybe three out of the last four. He's avoided a sack. Um, he's, he's making sensible decisions at the moment. I'm sorry. My headset is moving because my dog is being a pain. Um, <laughs> uh, coming through on the audio. Um, couldn't hear it. Couldn't hear it. But, uh, We've got to get a name check from, from what's the name of your dog? I Ross the dog. Ross is Ross, the, of course. Yeah, yeah. Rossage the sausage. <laughs> Rossage the sausage. Rossage. Well, Rossage's obviously Rossage is a bit of an got wind of, um, <laughs> of uh, Rufus, uh, Mike Carlson's dog, uh, oh, making guest appearances on the show this season, particularly when we mentioned the Jets. That seems yeah. to really excite Rufus. So maybe Ross is a, a Rams. <laughs> it's the Rams Could that get be. Ross's interest. Could be. Um, Big Jared Goff fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Goff, Goff um, is sort of making sensible decisions, I think, with the football more generally, which is, is obviously helpful. I think what helped him here, I mean, my mind immediately goes to perhaps just because it was one of the, again, one of the signature plays of the game, but that Cooper Cup on the, the, the free flicker, sort yes. of fake reverse. And that felt to me like what this Rams offense was when it was at its best couple of, um, a year ago, which was Sean McVay having fun. You know, it was Sean McVay using that, um, creativity, using the play action in particular. I mean, this goes beyond the play action, um, to, to set golf up to succeed. And I think that, um, I haven't seen anything from Goff in this, this sort of gentle improvement over the last few weeks that suggests he's suddenly a new quarterback. I think that perhaps, um, certainly at this point in his career, and, and there's always room in time for people to grow, he's, he's not in that bracket of the really, really great quarterbacks for me, but I think he's certainly good enough um, when he's put in position to succeed. And I think that's what the Rams maybe had stopped doing for a little bit, and, and we need to see more of this to help him succeed. Um Partly because of his limitations, but also just partly because I think that, I don't know, it comes to the identity of a team a little bit for me. I think that teams operate best when they believe in what they are doing and perhaps what I believe that the Sean McVay model is, the the, the version of McVay teams that work best is the version that does this, that gets creative, that is mm. one step ahead of the opposition in terms of um, of play calling and, and doing something that is unexpected. So I'm not saying every 
every few plays should be a double reverse reed flicker because, of course, that wouldn't be uh, creative or unexpected anymore. But that sort of thinking, I think, is really important to this team. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, we were talking in the studio about, the, 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 I guess, the fundamental changes offensively uh, uh, for the Rams last year versus this year predicated on two things, mainly the changes in the offensive line, uh, which mm-hmm. is particularly going to have an impact with a quarterback like Goff. And I'm not buying into the, oh, he's completely uh, handheld by McVay. He can't think for himself. It, it, the really critical book on, on Goff, I think he's better than that. And I think uh, I've always liked him as a very elegant player, very elegant passer of the ball. And, and, I, and I think underrated, but I'm with you as well. 100% Nicky, but he's not clearly not in that top six elite bracket, right? Mm. Um, and so a quarterback like that, who's still very young and he came into the league young, remember as well, and he was 21 when he, when he was drafted. And still not that much under his belt. Yeah. He's really, really relies on the line and a running game. And that's the other thing that Gurley, for reasons we know and are well documented with his injury, is just not the same player. And they weren't mm-hmm. going to him again when they could have done and probably should have done and, uh, and would have done last year this game. And they haven't been this season. And Gurley did yesterday what he's done, what he did the week before, certainly what he's still capable of doing, which is add something to the offense and come out of the backfield and, and, and get something going. But it, the running game is inferior to, to the one we saw last year. The other thing as well, worth keeping an eye on with the Rams, is Brandon Cooks. He went off for a yes. concussion again, and that is getting to be very, very close to the wire, I think, how, how, how often it is happening. And um, uh, he is, because of that, I think the, the Rams are going to be concerned about his long-term durability. And in the short term, the impact of losing a receiver like that just changes uh, the mm-hmm. dynamic of the offense again. So uh, there are a number of different things uh, in that respect year on year for them. But as you said, they're still in the mix. They'll have to go the wild card road, no doubt, because they're in the, the toughest division in football. I think it's fair to call the West. Um but still dangerous. One of those teams that if not, if we're talking elite teams at the moment, the Patriots, the Packers, the Saints and the 49ers, the, the, the Rams are in that, that chasing pack in the kind of second tier, probably in the middle of that mm. second tier, aren't they, I reckon? Um, I've, I've got a question. I've got a question for you now. Go for it. Now that you've seen them side by side, what do you think of the uh, Wembley experience compared to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium experience? Oh, that is a good question. Well, Tottenham was exceptional because it was new. I guess there's always that element of it, something fresh and shiny and new and uh, customized. You know, it, it was, it has been built not solely, but for mm-hmm. NFL games. So that's apparent uh, in terms of the acoustics and the overall experience as a result. So you're in a brand new stadium and it feels like it fits. I mean, literally fits in, into it. And I think there was concerns about going back to Wembley and was it going to feel anticlimactic and, and it is different, but it was still special. I mean, it's still uh, uh, obviously a a terrific experience to have NFL there. And I think that there was lots of buzz when I was getting the, the cab over to the game, just flicking around on Twitter so, you know, about midday, this would have been, and loads of buzz about there are tickets on sale. You can get a ticket for 10, 15 quid online. And, oh, is it going to be half full? And nobody turning up in the end, it was, it was a sellout. And yeah, maybe, you know, tickets were bought last minute cheaply, but it was still a really buzzing atmosphere. I did, I did cringe. I do cringe when you see a Mexican wave <laughs> rolling around after, you know, into the third quarter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, you can't help the fact that it was a, 
a, quite a one-sided game. Even if the scoreline was a little bit deceptive, it was. I don't think anyone really thought the Bengals were were going to get back into it. Um, mm. So, uh, look, if we only had games at Spurs going forwards, I think I would be disappointed. I think it's special to have games at Wembley as well, and I like the, the diversity and the, the variation. But if you're asking me which was the overall more authentic NFL experience, it was Spurs hands down. Okay, there you go. Yeah, uh, but actually, it's a great question, and you should know what our listeners think. Particularly if you yeah. if you went to both, um, what did you think? Did you feel that there was a big, irrespective of the game you're actually watching? Because I think that really helped as well. Particularly the yeah. the Bears Raiders game was terrific. But if if you felt that. Uh, there was a real discrepancy between the experiences. Let us know at the NC show. You know where we are. Uh, uh, hit us up on social. I want to talk to Sean Watson with you next, mm-hmm. Nikki, um, because we mentioned at the top uh, plays of the year. Yes. Um, we'll get to the Brissette one in a minute. We talked about the Rogers one. Deshaun Watson getting a boot to his eye and still completing the pass. And he said afterwards, uh, as he did, he was going down, took a kick to the face, threw the helmet. It, he seemed to kind of reflex, reflex reach to his eye, still falling down, throwing the pass uh, and, and completing it for the score. He said afterwards he was essentially throwing it blind or certainly mm. near enough. I mean, it was extraordinary stuff. I mean, it is. I mean, so much of it is extraordinary. I mean, from escaping the initial sack from Arden Key in the first place. And, um, yeah, I suppose for anyone who hasn't seen it, Key sort of comes at him, I guess, uh, at an angle and just sort of almost sort of gets spun all the way around Watson's waist. It's like he, he, he manages to shake him just enough that he sort of spins all the way around and his foot just comes up on the way back and just yeah straight in into his face mask straight into that gap and, and catches him in the eye it, and then Watson rolls out then he's being hit again as he yeah. actually makes the throw so he's, he's been hit a second time it's one of those things where there's a little part of me um that sort of wonders if uh another quarterback does this and mm. is throwing the ball blind and it ends differently with the ball being intercepted or something if everyone isn't saying what an idiot this is the stupidest play (laughs) why would you throw the ball when your eyes are closed you can't see where you're throwing the ball yeah because Watson as you said now it's not even like he he tried to set it as something different in um uh in in the post-game interviews uh he was talking about um yeah I just sort of um, thought that was where he should be. It was like, I suppose, knowing the play and knowing, um, knowing what you expect and, and, and putting trust in your teammates. And in a way, yes, that's like the ultimate success, um, faith in the play, faith in, in teammates, faith in, in everything. But it's certainly a big risk to throw the ball when you can't see. And, and you know, it's parallels with that and with, with Aaron Rodgers, right? He said, I kind of threw it up. I was hoping I'd throw it high enough and, and Jimmy Graham would be able to, to reach it yeah. <laughs> and if it if it went beyond him then someone else might be thinking right yeah. <laughs> if any other quarterback yeah. gave that as an excuse it would be to pick it yeah. would be absolutely decried but yeah. then but then maybe that's partly the point isn't it you know partly the point is that another quarterback would have thrown it badly and it would have been an interception whereas right. somehow um, right. these guys do do come up with it um, yeah it was Mitch Trubisky would have hit sort of row D yeah. <laughs> if he tried it um, it was extraordinary I, I started thinking about 
when I was a kid playing softball once, um, and I'd taken a, a whack to an eye from from a softball and was still um, having to bat and tried swinging at a ball with my eye closed. And let me tell you, depth perception is a thing. You can't <laughs> you can't just do that. Um, so it is it's almost extraordinary just to be able to get out the pocket yeah. and not get clobbered because depth perception. That's what you lose when you have one eye closed. You can't see um, uh, how far away things are. So how do you know when you're about to get hit? Maybe he didn't. Maybe that's why he's being hit when he gets thrown. But it's yeah, it's it's something else. And and um, well, I was about to say um, I have it ahead of the Rochester. I do really like that Rochester as well. I think it's incredible the way the the touch he has on it. Um, I suppose yes. What's more incredible with Watson is uh, the. Um, the the athleticism to avoid that first sack, which I think mm. is, is extraordinary, and then and then the fact of not being able to see properly with with Rogers, it's going down and also getting quite exactly the right amount of air underneath the ball to put it where it needed to be. But they're both ridiculous. They're both incredible throws. They're both um, going to be in that conversation at the end of the season for the best player of the year for certain. What about so? We, let's see. We'll come back to the Texans and JJ Watt in a sec. But since we're, we're weighing up those two plays, let's get the Brissett play in mm. as well. So this was a, you know. It, essentially a game-winning play for, for the Colts, wasn't it? When they were yeah. right on their cups, right on their Cooper cups. And um, <laughs> talk, talk us through that one. Because again, I mean, it had something, you brilliantly described the difference between uh, the Rodgers and the Watson throw. Brissette had something different as well. Yeah, well, but Brissette, it was almost, I mean, because he got hit by Von Miller and oh, I can't remember who the second defender was who got there, but there was two of them. Miller gets the cleaner hit and, mm. and perhaps even um, knocks his teammate out of the picture a little bit. Um, but it's it's almost just strength with with Brissett. You see Miller, who's just not a small man and certainly knows how to get down quarterbacks. Um, I think there's a little step uh, away at the last second Brissett, which means it's not like completely, completely clean uh, hits his midsection, but it's still a very solid hit, and he just mm. shrugs him off. Basically, he just walks away from it. Um, made me think he's of tough Brissett. I mean, he's so tough. Made me think of. I think sometimes Steve McNair used to be like that when he was playing. Just sometimes you'd see him get hit and think it's like nothing happened. It's like yeah. it's like you haven't been um, phased at all by two hundred and sixty pounds worth of opponent hitting you. Um, that is a great comparison, actually, Steve McNair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In um, a number of ways actually with Brissett. I love that. And uh, we'll explore next time. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm making a note. <laughs> taking notes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm writing it down. I'm, yeah, I'm pleased to have contributed that to the greater Brissette conversation. <laughs> I don't, and I, you know, the next and what happens next, I think, is 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 very very good quarterback play. He gets out of the pocket. He finds an open man down the field. He has to put more distance on on his ball than either of, of Rogers or or um, Watson had to. But um, I don't know if it's quite in the same category as, as as those two for me, just because he's not in that same state of of sort of halfway to the ground when he makes it. Okay, uh, definitely go and check those out. We'll push them out on social as well if you haven't. Sure, sure, you would have seen them. But if you haven't, we'll uh, we'll fire them out, clip them up. Uh, that's the, the beauty of it. NFL digital. These things appear almost instantly and uh, uh, are eminently shareable. JJ Watt. I said we go back to him. Heartbreaking uh, for for him for the Texans. Done for the season. Torn a peck. Which sounds incredibly painful. Um, what does this do, Nikki, to uh, the Texans? Uh, chances obviously it is going to diminish and weaken them but just how significantly is it going to be a problem no JJ what um I'm inclined to say for the playoffs it probably isn't a problem but that's partly just because I think the AFC is very weak um you're looking at 
seven teams into six places at the moment, really, unless someone like, um, well, maybe I'm being too, too dismissive of, of their, of the other teams in the AFC South. The AFC South is still, um, close enough that things can, can chop and change. But I feel like the Texans, simultaneously, I think they are, um, uh, a team that I could see being, uh, dangerous in just about any matchup because of Deshaun Watson, because of DeAndre Hopkins, even though he's not having um, hit the best season of his career at the moment. I think you've got just enough weapons there that, I mean, frankly, just Deshaun Watson, if I'm being honest, like if Deshaun Watson's on the field, the way he's playing this season, I think, okay, this team's got a chance, something can happen. Um, But I don't look at the Texans otherwise and think that they're a great all the way around team. Um, I don't think that they're a team that can sort of afford to lose its star players and, and particularly on defense and particularly JJ Watt, who was, um, I think playing absolutely at a sort of defensive player of the year type of level. Um, and he was in that conversation. Um, it's, it's hard not to see that as a really significant loss, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when it, you know, it's a really interesting division shaping up. And again, not overreacting to what we've just seen this weekend, but we were suggesting that the Titans, the Jags are still in the mix, really, because the Bills might start to uh, capitulate a little bit. As we said earlier on, the West is uh, only going to have the Chiefs going through there. And, and you think the North as well. So, um, it's highly possible that the South's going to deliver two playoff teams. And, um, Nevertheless, when you look at the runners and riders outside of the Chiefs and the Patriots, it only sense really that the Ravens and the Texans have that sucker punch power to to test either of those two, and certainly the Patriots. And uh, you know, clearly, uh, the Patriots are going to be a challenge for anybody defensively in the playoffs. The way that the is playing, so you've got to be. Uh, looking at a, a situation where you're going into a, a playoff game against the Patriots, knowing you're not necessarily going to do your usual thing, mm-hmm. then it's going to come down to playmakers defensively to, to try and stifle them. And yeah, JJ, what, whichever way you cut it is going to be a, a massive loss because he is not just a leader, but a playmaker and mm-hmm. um, disappointing for uh, Texans fans as well over here who are not going to get to see him at Wembley next week. Uh, speaking of which, I'll sneak out a quick plug that we're of course on uh, live on TV for that one as well. Two o'clock at the same gang, me, Mike, Jason, OC, so make sure you join us for that. Um, let us rattle through the rest, Nikki. Uh, mentioned the Bills, uh, falling, uh, some way short against the Eagles. So line on either. Have we overrated the Bills and underestimated the Eagles, do you think, so far this season? Uh, I don't know. I feel like the Eagles have gone from overrated at the beginning of the season, um, <laughs> to disappointing is so greatly that I don't know that I can suddenly sort of jump on board with, um, with them just because of, of, of one good performance. Certainly good to see Miles Sanders getting untracked and we've been waiting for that all season, um, from them. But I'm not sure that, um, this win goes far enough to allay my concerns about them as a team. Um, as for the Bills, I've been, yeah, I've been sort of, um, quite enjoying them this season. Again, we were talking earlier about this being a season when perhaps defense is, is resurgent a little bit. And I thought at the beginning, uh, first few weeks of this, this season, it really has been extraordinary quite how good they have been on defense. Um, but it, it's almost reminiscent of the Jaguars, um, during the sort of, uh, the, the, the ups and downs with Blake Bortles, of course, right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good comparison. When this, when this defense is sort of number one in the NFL elite level, which I think in some games, at least they were playing at that sort of level earlier this season. Um, then you look at them and think, wow, this team can, can, can hang with anybody. But as soon as that defense is even just normal, is even just sort of, or even, I don't know, above average, even sort of just quite good instead of extraordinary, there's just so much, um, or I suppose so little on offense that, that's reliable. Um, mm. The, that it, it, it unravels very quickly. Yeah, big time. As indeed it happened, uh, that way precisely against, uh, the Eagles. So Philly still, uh, rolling. And let's not forget the Bills are, you know, still posting a pretty decent record. So, uh, stories of their demise, uh, suitably exaggerated at the moment. Let's talk Lions Giants then. Uh, topsy turvy game. The Lions coming out. Uh, on top and, and Matt Stafford of course he's having uh, a terrific season uh, getting it done uh, once again wasn't as straightforward as maybe it should have been given how um, the Giants hung around and the Giants also uh, coughed up the ball quite a lot Daniel Jones that seems to be a, a real problem uh, with him after such a, an impressive start to his Giants career Nicky where are you now on him? I mean, it seems to be that he is regressing super speedily. Was it, was it a mistake to bring him in so early? Are we not sure what we've got here? Or to your point earlier on, every pretty much anyway, every rookie quarterback has his ups and downs and he's just going through a, a run of downs at the moment. Yeah, I think what's happening right now is totally ordinary. I think it would be weird for a rookie quarterback not to have, um, ups and downs and, and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, look. But he's, he's quite reckless. I suppose what I mean there is that he, he's, he, he's rookie naivety in terms of trying to force things or try things and just not reading things. And lots of those are factors in, in, in giving up possession. Is there more to it than that, though, in terms of his ball control, the fumbling issues? Uh, mechanically, are there concerns? Um, I mean, the fumbling is, is obviously an issue five, five in two games, but I, no, I, I I'm, I'm not going to get on board with the, with the sort of seeing this as a big, big concern. He is, as you've just said, he's so aggressive with it. Um, and then look, he did a lot right in this game. I mean, we had, um, Slayton having his sort of breakout game and wide receiver, um, which was sort of thrilling and, and, and brilliant. And I think showed, Perhaps what that combination might, um, might have to show us, uh, once you're no longer having to line him up against them. I think the last few games, Slayton has, has lined up against Xavier Rhodes, Stefan Gilmore, Patrick Peterson, some of the best cornerbacks in the league. So steep learning curve for him. And I think when you give these guys a chance, they're actually showing that they can, they can play. So, um, I, I'm not worried. Uh, I mean, uh, worried is, is relative, I suppose. Worried that, Daniel Jones isn't suddenly going to start winning every game for New York tomorrow. Sure. Yeah. I and mean, I think that's, that's just not a worry because first of all, they're, they're not in the running this season. Sure. Um, and and he was never meant to, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a rookie. So no, I don't, um, I don't see that as a big problem. I don't see excessive confidence as a big problem in, in a rookie either. I think it's probably better to be that way around, um, than the other way around, as long as you're capable of learning from your mistakes over time. And uh, it's not that I can sit here and say, well, we know he's definitely going to, but I think at eight games into the season, uh, six starts into his career, you can you can give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, a final game I want to talk to you about, the Jags-Jets. We mentioned in passing that the Jags improving to 500 now and, uh, and alive and kicking as far as a wild card chance uh, is concerned. Uh, and the defense getting it done again uh, against the New York Jets Sam Donald having off the, off the back of that horrendous game 
against the Patriots, uh, having uh, another nightmare, uh, sacked eight times. He threw three picks as well. So it's interesting that Jacksonville D, since they dealt Jaden Ramsey, has, yeah. has really, really stepped up. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, AJ Boye has been fantastic. Um, it, it doesn't feel like, I mean, I suppose he was, he wasn't always there at the end anyway. So it doesn't feel like they've missed him because he, he wasn't, um, he wasn't contributing. And certainly, um, I can imagine how not having someone who doesn't want to be there can help a locker room as well. It was interesting hearing, um, uh, to not wanting to bring back to this game particularly, but I, I saw Emmanuel Sanders had been sort of, uh, waxing lyrical about how much fun he was having uh, in San Francisco and and just enjoying uh, how when everyone went out at the end of the pregame to when everyone came out of the locker room, everyone sort of laughing and joking around with the implication, I guess, being um, that those things weren't happening in Denver. He didn't have that same vibe. And I think mm. that it's perfectly possible to me that Jalen Ramsey going away is, is helping his teammates just to, to concentrate and, and get on with, with their own thing. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely good that the off, good that the defense is playing like that, and and good to see Leonard Fournette getting untracked again as well. Yeah, he's, right. Uh, he's sort of having a real strong comeback at the moment. I feel like that is going to be interesting, isn't it? Fournette uh, coming over next week against the uh, the Texans D minus JJ. Well, that will be uh, interesting to see what damage the Jags can do in that respect. Uh, Nikki, terrific stuff. Uh, it is always a pleasure catching up with you. If our listeners want to follow you on social, read your stuff. Uh, at Nicky Vandini uh, on Twitter. Nikki, always a pleasure. Look after yourself. Come and see you soon. I will, anytime. Good stuff from Nikki. We're going to keep things rolling straight along and talk coaching carousel next with Greg Brady. Greg, good to have you on, man. How's life? Oh, fantastic! You're uh, you're halfway you're you're in the middle of a, a Wembley Stadium uh, NFL sandwich, right? Rams, Bengals, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Texas Jags next weekend. The the Jags make their uh, annual visit. Lovely. Uh, they are disappointing. Obviously, no JJ Watt. Uh, I had to break the news to my youngest who has a, a JJ Watt shirt and is going to to be at the game. That that Watt isn't isn't going to be playing. I said he might come over, knowing full well that knowing full well that he won't travel. Just to, you're just you're not flying. You're not going with your sons to meet Gardner Minshew at the uh, at, at you know at, at Heathrow when he when he steps off the plane. I find that very hard to believe, given your fandom of him. I'm going to be there with uh, Ollie and Harry, our production team, uh, <laughs> both of which have facial hair already rocking, and I will, uh, I'll be having the, uh, the paint on Tash to uh, salute that Minshew as he lands. Um, they'll be, I can't wait to see when he makes me. There are going to be God knows how many tens of thousands of Tashes um, uh, bought hurriedly 48 hours before the big game. Uh, so, Greg, we want to talk particularly about the coaching carousel because it's that stage of proceedings now already where uh, we're starting to get a pretty good sense of the trajectory of many teams season and uh, certainly those that are really struggling inevitably uh, coaches are on the hot seat and uh, as we talked a fair bit about on the show it's a difficult conundrum for teams because uh, unlike European football unlike football uh, you rarely make a change during the season and bring in uh, the candidate that you absolutely want then I know the big clubs Real Madrid Barcelona uh, it's a little bit different but but typically in in the NFL uh, you're not going to make a change to a coach and have you're ready by replacement to plug in and try and change the course of that season. A lot of the time it is either old stages, bringing them back into the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's hot shot uh, coordinators that have made a name for themselves that are given uh, a step up. And that's usually done in the off season. So I want to get into the, the teams that might be making a change in the off season, particularly and the candidates that uh, could be landing a head coaching job. And in particular, in particular, talk about Jim Harbaugh, who of course coached back in 
the day in the NFL has uh, been presiding over Michigan, which uh, for listeners not familiar, a massive, massive gig in college football, of course. They don't come much bigger than that. But he's had fairly mixed success and reports suggesting that he might be coming to at the end of his tenure there and might be heading back to the NFL. So tell us more. Well, yeah, and I'll start with saying you're right and bang on uh, for the listener about the, you know, the frequency with which this happens. It's really rare that maybe you'd have two dismissals or or two partings of the ways in uh, of a 32-team league in season. I think the last stat I saw in the English Premier League was it's between three and four every single season out of 20 teams. So that's almost 20% of, of managers aren't the same in, uh, in in late May as they are in mid-August. Um, mm. Yeah, this Jim Harbaugh situation, I, I am sure that it has some legs. I am sure there, there was a report this week that talked about Jim having a, an exit strategy. So there's not much to that, and not a lot of people would put the would put a big name behind that. Uh, but it, it got it was so much so, Nat, that Jim Harbaugh had to write a letter to current players and recruits and sent it uh, to them either by email or. Uh, maybe even snail mail to basically say, Hey, there's a report out there. I'm the head coach though. And I want you to know I'm coaching for your son. I'm coaching for your son right now, or I'll be coaching for him next year. Cause this can really, you can imagine with college football and that, uh, universities, it can really disrupt the recruiting process. Sure. If it's deemed that you might have one foot out the door already, you're, you're putting your, you know, your son's making a big commitment and it's hard for those kids to get out of those commitments. You, it's not the pros. You can't just ask for a transfer or ask for a trade. You're pretty committed to that university. So if the coach that you wanted to play for doesn't stay, you're kind of left holding the bag. Now, now that is a really Harbaugh, good point. Just on, on that, Greg, yeah. that, that, the distinction between the uh, assets and the attributes, I should say, that a college head coach has versus an NFL head coach, that is a really integral part, isn't it? That the ability to uh, not just, I guess, carry the stature uh, and the profile that someone like Harbaugh does, which makes Michigan an attractive proposition for the very top recruits and their families to, to look at, but also just in terms of that very personal uh, relationship that, that coaches have with their current team, but also the recruits. Mm-hmm. And expand upon that a little bit more, again, for importance of that as the college head coach. Well, it's critical. There just really isn't what we'd call NADA. We, we talk about front offices in the NFL, and there really isn't uh, a front office in college football. You are... You are that player personnel director. You're the general manager. You're, you, you're the executive vice president when you're Nick Saban at Alabama or Jim Harbaugh, uh, at, uh, at, at Michigan or what Urban Meyer was the last several years at Ohio State before he left amidst some controversy. So it's, it's everything going into living rooms and, and kitchens and, and telling parents, I know what's best for your son and, and your son will be best playing for my school. There's, so there's, there's really, you can go and get the best players. This is a lot more. It is a lot more like the Premier League or, or Serie A or the Bundesliga and, and just being able to, uh, uh, you know, accumulate the very best young talent, whereas the draft in, in all the other North American sport, pro sports really prevents you from doing that. You, you, there's no way you could end up with five of the best 10 prospects unless, of course, you've acquired five first round draft picks in any of those individual sports. So, and Harbaugh's done this before and, and not, no one's to say that that's dubious or wrong. He left a great program in, in Stanford in the Pac-12, uh, to, to coach the San Francisco 49ers. He started as a college coach, um, really working his way up through the ranks, uh, before coming to the 49ers. And then obviously when he got to the 49ers, whether it was Alex Smith or Colin Kaepernick at quarterback, he had just such tremendous success there. So he's only really had the one run as an NFL uh, head coach. 
bottom lining it, you know, it was reported that he had an exit strategy. Now we all have exit strategies. You have an exit strategy <laughs> to get me off the air in a few minutes. These, everyone should have an exit strategy in life. And Jim Harbaugh has that clearly. So yeah. I don't know that the report was false, but it didn't have much substance. But I can tell mm. you that there are many NFL teams, several NFL teams, some of which Harbaugh has ties with, either geography or he played with, who'd be incredibly interested. In fact, so much so they might be even satisfied with their current head coach, but they would move mountains to get Jim Harbaugh to coach their team in 2020. So who are we looking at? Well, the Detroit Lions jump off the page. Uh, Matt Patricia's in his second season. I know they had a win yesterday, although they barely hung on against the New York Giants uh, mm. after, you know, really pummeling them early. We've talked about them maybe, you know, being a little bit uh, more talented than their record indicates. But they're not going anywhere in this division this year. I think the playoffs are a long shot at best, sitting at 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Would Jim Harbaugh coaching the Detroit Lions whet the appetite of fans who, who haven't had a playoff victory since 1991? I'd say so. And I'd even look in their own division. And maybe the team Harbaugh started his career with, the Chicago Bears. And I never imagined, you probably could never imagine either of us saying this a, a year and a half ago, Nat, or even a year ago, with the Bears having one of the best defenses in the NFL. But the playoff uh, losses have been, you know, rather demoralizing. The missed field goals in the postseason. And yesterday, uh, Matt Nagy with uh, with some strange decisions. They lost on another mixed, missed field goal again to uh, a slumping L.A. Chargers team. And they're now sitting at three and four. I think the Bears would be really interested in, in Harbaugh. But you mentioned also the teams that are trying to, you know, figure out if, if the coach they just hired recently within the last year and a half Look at Cincinnati. They're sitting at 0-8. No one thought they'd be in competition for the number one overall draft pick when Marvin Lewis left. It was supposed to get better when Marvin Lewis left. The Jets with Adam Gase uh, at 1-6. and six, uh, There's going to be a number of teams, even Jacksonville, I'd say, with Doug Marone. Uh, yep. I don't know if Shad, Shad Khan could write quite a check to Jim Harbaugh uh, to perhaps upgrade that coaching position. So bottom line is several teams are going to be really interested if it goes uh, the way many people think it might go, and Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan within the next year or two. Some really interesting names there. I mean, obviously, we were at Wembley yesterday. We saw the Bengals up close. And the general consensus around, you know, talking to Bengals, Cincinnati beat writers and people close to the team. So Ken Anderson was was in studio with us for, mm-hmm. for a little bit. Legendary Bengals quarterback, of course, and uh, and went into coaching for a while. He's very close to the organization. They, they brought him over as, as their legend. And uh, sure, you're going to toe the party line when you're asked the question, you know, should they move on from Andy Dalton? Should they move on from Zach Taylor? But... But off camera, he seemed pretty clear that the uh, that Taylor's got a, a, a decent run at this. I mean, I, I suppose there are always limits to that, right? If they, if God forbid, the Bengals go zero and sixteen, or even one and fifteen, and maybe that might stretch uh, the uh, patience of the ownership. But uh, but assuming they have a you know a three and thirteen type affair and a top three, top five draft pick, I think he's going to get mm-hmm. more time there. Adam Gase is the interesting one. I mean, he, you know, he was, as we've talked about a lot in the past, Greg, vo- a volatile customer uh, in Miami. And there seemed to be a, a very fractious environment. And a lot of the, in early stages, we thought, well, is that down to the franchise and it being amongst the more dysfunctional in the NFL? Or is this down to Adam Gase? And initially, everybody gave Gase the benefit of the doubt, didn't they? Particularly as he had success relatively early on and uh, and got them uh, back in, in shape, it seemed to be, well, look, he's doing well in a difficult situation, but it gradually as that started to unravel, he became, uh, I guess, a more of a volatile character and confrontational and things, things were yeah. difficult. And that seems to have replicated itself with the Jets, not exactly in the same way, but hugely disappointing, uh, tenure for him there as well. I mean, it's improbable how quickly he's fallen out of favor. Well, I think it's concerning. And we've talked about the AFC East and how impatient the Bills, the Jets, the Dolphins have all been 
uh, with their head coaches uh, over the last 19 years when it's been just Belichick and Brady steamrolling through that division. Right. But yeah, I, you know, I thought they were really patient with Todd Bowles. They gave Todd Bowles four full seasons. He was 24 and 40 in his 64 games. That coming after Rex Ryan almost coached 100 games there and, and really knew. You mentioned the New York media, Nad. The, the New York media, Rex Ryan really knew how to work it. And He'd put stuff on him. He would take the blame for things. He would say, leave the players alone, put it all on me. And not that Adam Gase is doing the opposite, but he's just not that extrovert. He's just not that gregarious to, to be able to, you know, play a little bit of a magician trick and, and mm-hmm. say, look away from the problems and look at this distraction instead. And don't forget, the Jets had success. Like, he was a likable character, wasn't he? He had that charisma. And, the, you know, not mm-hmm. many head coaches do. And Gacy doesn't seem to to have that, have that rapport. I mean, you're right. Uh, Ryan could paper over a lot of cracks and uh, throw smoke and mirrors because he was just such a uh, an engaging character, even in, in presses and just dealing with, you know, immediate conferences. Uh, whereas Gacy just isn't that guy at all, is he? He's probably the opposite. No, exactly. And Ryan, I thought Ryan's act worked with the Jets. Don't forget also, they won four playoff road games with Mark Sanchez. They went yeah, to two sure. AFC title games, uh, in the span of three seasons. So there was some Bart Scott, you know, all pro. They had some success. They had some players there at the time. I think the concern with the Jets now is it's still not that great a roster. And we're seeing Sam Darnold, you know, look brilliant one play and one drive and then really struggle. He threw a costly interception uh, against the Jags yesterday when they were just, it was like a punt down the middle of the field with, with eight minutes left. And the Jags, uh, you know, they didn't run the clock right out, but it was incredibly costly for the Jets to get back in that football game. And Re- yeah, Re- I don't, you know, I don't think Rex is a candidate necessarily to come back. Seems to like what he's doing for ESPN, but uh, I, I, yeah, for the Jets to hire Adam Gase, it'd be seen as a real coup. Same thing with Nagy in Chicago. The Lions were happy getting Patricia. The one name I think we think is safe among all the bad teams now, Matt. And, and of course, we haven't even brought up Washington, which may seek more of a permanent head coach given they got rid of Jay Gruden so quickly early in the season. But Brian Flores might go 0-16, 1-15 at best. He seems the safest out of any of the names we've mentioned. He really does. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Listen, one more name for you in, from the college game that could head over to the pros. Lincoln Riley, of course, has got a huge amount of attention over recent years for, for what he's achieved with Oklahoma and some of the uh, the big names, of course, applying their trade now in the NFL. So he's very much a, a hipster pick, a zeitgeist pick. He's maybe more accurate. Uh, but the transition over isn't always a straightforward one. And indeed, uh, it isn't always as attractive as it might appear. I mean, I know there's even now this narrative that you take Nick Saban, who has achieved everything with Alabama, right? Does, he still, mm-hmm. does it still irk him that he didn't do it in the NFL? And there seem to be two schools of thought about that. Again, from afar, maybe it's it's difficult to uh, underestimate just having the college game is in parts of America bigger than the NFL in parts of America. Certainly that's true in Alabama and, you know, where saving coaches. So in terms of profile and, and, and stature, uh, it's, it's kind of like for like money's often, you know, a par- uh, comparable, often better. You're telling me off air and uh, have a, an itch he wants to scratch and, and get it done in the pros. Or do you think that increasingly uh, coaches aren't that bothered about the NFL if they're, if they're doing it in college? Yeah, I do think that's true. I think if you've got the success and you've got the program, uh, you're inclined to, to not make a, make a move up. I think that ship has sailed. There was a big rumor about three years ago with Nick Saban when I want to say the Colts were transitioning away from Chuck Pagano. Right. And there was a lot of talk, probably even before all the Josh McDaniel, uh, right. well, not just rumors, but before he came close to going there. And, and Saban must have looked at it. You get to coach Andrew Luck. Now remember what we thought at the time. You've got a fully healthy Andrew Luck. He's winning. He's, you know, he's winning 10, 11 games every year. That'd be a great situation for Nick Saban to, to step into a little closer to where he lived and where he coached 
um, at Michigan State. But I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley and the Dallas Cowboys, and you've heard it, I've heard it, we've all heard it. That seems to be the combination that won't go away. And we like to think of Jerry Jones as making splashes, loved hosting the Super Bowl, loves the big stadium, loves the, doesn't mind going after the, the maybe the, uh, the controversial player. He really hasn't done that with head coaches. And he's obviously got the capital and the, and the finances to do that. He's stuck with Jason Garrett now. Jason Garrett will coach his 140th game uh, with the Cowboys later this year. Well, you know, whether it was Wade Phillips or names like Dave Campo, Bill Parcells is really the last splash. And I'm not even sure it was the splash that Lincoln Riley will be because we'd seen Parcells for so many years with with other organizations, with the Patriots, with the Jets, with the Giants, quite obviously, that it was sort of just par for the course. It felt a little bit like a retread. But remember, the Dallas Cowboys haven't been in the NFC title game, Nat, since 1995. That's how long it's been. It's been 23 years for as much as we think about America's team, and they're always on primetime. Their next game's next Monday night against the Giants. Um, so the, the, the television networks love them. We love talking about them. And at the same time, they really haven't had any modicum of consistent success. And Lincoln Riley, as a big name coming from college, especially where it looks like it's going to be another big year, and, and Oklahoma would be a great candidate to be in this uh, the top four playoff spots for, for college football, which is how they, uh, how they do their system now. They take the top four teams based on this complex formula of voting and, and the coaches and, and, and the statistics and put, them in the, and put them in semifinals. Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley expected to be there again maybe, just maybe, he decides as a younger coach than Nick Saban by about 20 years, no less, maybe he decides the NFL is worth taking a run at. Dallas would probably be the first team uh, that his agent would call to see if there was interest. Greg, cracking stuff, man. At Greg Brady T.O. If you want to follow uh, Greg on Twitter and make sure you do, of course, a key part of our all-pro lineup this season. So we'll be checking in with you very soon. Good to chat to you, man. Tell that boy not to retire that J.J. Watt jersey. He'll be back in 2020. He'll be wearing it proud. Don't you worry about that. Take care, man. See you soon. Thanks, guys. There we go, then. Terrific stuff. Always good to catch up with Greg and Nikki. We're back Wednesday with I'm Mike Carson, deep diving into all the big stories from around the NFL. I'll have a bonus mailbag as well. So get your questions in via social at the NC show. Uh, and uh, this Friday, Tom Deacon's dropping by the ESPN studio as well. So looking forward to catching up with Deeks too. So a jam-packed week of pods coming your way. Don't miss a trick. Subscribe to us. You know the drill. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.